The Guardian. Nobody likes being in pain, and yet for the most part, pain is useful. It's a way that our bodies can tell us that we're hurt or that we're in danger. However, for some people, pain is just something that refuses to go away. In fact, pain itself has become a life-changing illness. It's been very much like your grieving process, that you know you you're in denial and you are angry about it, um, you're depressed about it. It's very difficult. I'm having to change my whole way of thinking. From the Guardian, I'm Anand Jagatia, and today on Science Weekly, the second of a two-part exploration of chronic pain. How can we treat it? Why does it affect more women than men? And how are chronic pain conditions being affected by the COVID-19 pandemic? In part one of our look at chronic pain on Tuesday, we heard from Vicky Naylor. A nurse from Wigan who was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Scientists don't really know much about the causes of fibromyalgia, but it seems it can be triggered by stressful life events like losing a loved one, having an injury, or an operation. In Vicky's case, it was brought on by a cesarean section she had 11 years ago, and since then she suffered from painful flare-ups, tenderness and stiffness all over her body, which can be so bad that she can't get out of bed or dress herself. And these flare-ups can be triggered by the slightest thing. Just catching a common cold, you know, can absolutely floor you. And you know, if you're under pressure at work, then as soon as you start to feel the pressure, the The brain fog increases tenfold, so you can't think straight, which puts you under even more pressure. So it's it's like a vicious circle, really. You know, things that are completely out of your control, like parents that are getting older and family problems. But eventually, Vicky learned to deal with her condition, to manage it, and bring her symptoms under control. I worked two to three days a week. I swam twice a week. I did yoga once or twice a week. With the exercise, the prescribed medication I was on, I did have flare-ups, but most of the time I functioned pretty well. I I never had a day off work because of the fibromyalgia. At this stage in her life, despite having fibromyalgia, Vicky sounds like she was fitter than me. But then March 2020 came around, and Vicky became very unwell. She'd got COVID. I started with、um, a high temperature, terrible aches and pains. Didn't get out of bed for ten days. On one particular day, I was just completely delirious. I have no recollection of that day. My mum was ringing me. Every hour to check I was still alive. I had resigned myself to my fate that day. I really didn't think that I was going to come back from that day. Thankfully, Vicky did come back from that day, but she has far from fully recovered. She's been diagnosed with long COVID, and her chronic pain has become a lot worse. All my fibromyalgia symptoms. Have completely spiralled out of control. 
I haven't worked since. Some days I might wake up, get washed and dressed and then have to go back to bed for the day. I have to plan my days meticulously that, okay, I'll do the shopping this day and then I'll leave it. I won't put it away. I'll have a rest, then I'll put it away. I mean, it sounds like your life has pretty much completely changed. Totally. I've gone from somebody who was functioning quite well with a condition to somebody who is barely functioning some days. And it's, uh, I'm beginning to realise that I am quite disabled, really. I make the most of it and I do as much as I can. And I do tend to push myself a bit too much, which has a negative impact on it. They don't know whether things will resolve or whether this is a permanent uh, situation. At the moment, it's very difficult to accept it. I just have to have a bit of hope that in the future, it will get better. Linda Geddes, you're a Guardian Science correspondent and you've just heard what Vicky said there about how her chronic pain became so much worse after getting COVID. What do we know about this? Is there an overlap between those two things? Yeah, there could be. So, you know, there have been a couple of studies now. One of them found that 40% of people who developed two or more persistent symptoms after having a COVID infection developed musculoskeletal pain. And I think I, I think until I kind of interviewed some of these people and really researched this area, I'd been a bit like, oh, muscle aches, it's not so bad. Maybe it's like when you have flu. But, you know, actually, these are really, really, really bad muscle aches. So, you know, pain does actually seem to be one of these things that's cropping up in a lot of patients who are having these ongoing COVID symptoms, these kind of long COVID symptoms. But it's not just COVID. So um, Ebola, people who have survived an Ebola infection, you know, there's a substantial number of these Ebola survivors who have a kind of long Ebola syndrome. And there, pain is a real problem. That's the main symptom. So they're experiencing really crippling muscle and joint pain for months or years after surviving Ebola. And obviously, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. So there are going to be growing numbers of people with long COVID. The Office for National Statistics put some figures out earlier this month, and they estimate that 385,000 people are currently living with symptoms of long COVID, and they've had those symptoms for over a year. If we're going to see an increase in people developing chronic pain because of the pandemic, what's the outlook going to be for the health service? I mean, the latest figure from June of this year is 5 million people on the waiting list for the NHS in England. I mean, it's not good, is it? <laughs> already, already the health system in the UK and, and in many countries, already those health systems are stretched. And caring for all those patients with COVID just in the short term has put back hospital waiting lists and referrals for things like chronic pain. Um, so people are having to wait longer to be seen. Um, but then you're going to end up with probably a substantial number of people who have had COVID who are now needing to be seen by pain specialists. So it's not it's not good. Something else that we've seen is that chronic pain and long COVID both seem to be more common in women than in men. Do we know why that is? <laughs> not really. 
it could be something to do with how the immune system can be involved in pain. So immune cells release substances called cytokines, which some of which can cause the nerves to become sensitized. The nerves don't really like being bathed in these cytokines. And that's what happens in a lot of these inflammatory conditions like arthritis. So women tend to have more overactive immune systems than men, which is really interesting. And it's probably, you know, that that's that might help them short term cope with injuries and infections, but it also puts them at an increased risk of autoimmune diseases, for instance. Um, there's also a bit of evidence from animal studies and possibly a few human studies that women have more pain receptors in certain tissues around their bodies. And then hormones like the female hormone estrogen also seems to modulate pain signaling. Again, we don't know huge amounts about it, but that's something that's being investigated. So we've talked about the connection between viruses, uh, viral infections and chronic pain. But chronic pain can also be linked to past life events, things that have happened to you and even to your mental health. What's going on there? Well, the thing is that pain processing in the brain doesn't happen in a kind of discrete little compartment. It's not isolated from other things that are going on in the brain. And it's it's extremely tied up with areas of the brain that also process emotions. So conditions like like general depression or situations like if you've experienced childhood abuse, um, they cause the brain to be, these emotional processing areas of the brain to be rewired to some extent. And that also seems to affect pain processing. So saying that, you know, if you're depressed, um, that means you've got a greater risk of pain is not saying if you just think yourself happier, your pain will go away. Not at all. And I think I think that's also a problem, actually, because one one of the really interesting therapeutic things that's come out of pain research in the last decade is that there are some classes of drugs like certain types of antidepressants that actually seem to work as painkillers. But, you know, if you go to a doctor with your pain and they say, I'm going to prescribe you an antidepressant. Unless the doctor is explaining exactly why they're prescribing that antidepressant, a patient can be left feeling like they've not been believed by their doctor um, when actually the doctor might, again, not all doctors, but the doctor might really genuinely be following the latest evidence and going, okay, I'm going to try this antidepressant and see if that has an impact on pain. What other kinds of treatments do doctors tend to use? Well, you know, they might be prescribed non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Um, they might be prescribed opioid drugs. And there's a big problem with overprescription of these opioid drugs. And actually, some of the pain researchers I interviewed said that there is some evidence now that opioids for these patients with chronic pain can make it much worse. It, it seems to kind of ramp up the kind of the fire that's going on. But, you know, they, they're very effective if you have short term pain from surgery or something. I think the key thing is that patients get referred to pain experts. And then what happens, it's the problem is it's highly individualized. So what works for one patient won't work for somebody else. So for some people, some psychotherapy might help, some exercise might help. For others, it's going to be entirely drug based, um, but it's very, very individual. So the researchers that you have spoken to uh, for your reporting on this who work in the field of chronic pain, what have they said about how attitudes might be changing in the field? Is chronic pain something that is getting more widespread recognition? 
Yes, it definitely is. So last year, the International Association for the Study of Pain officially introduced this third category of nosoplastic pain. So nosoplastic pain is something we talked about in part one, which is pain that doesn't seem to be caused by tissue damage or nerve damage, but it's something to do with how pain signals themselves are actually processed. Yes, and they also introduced some guidelines alongside this um, new definition. One of the important points in those guidelines was that a person's experience of pain should be respected. So at the moment, there's no biomarker, there's no blood test or any other kind of test that you can do to say this person is experiencing nosoplastic pain, um, which makes it really, really important that if a patient says, I'm in pain all the time, um, that their doctor respects that and believes them and refers them to a pain specialist. I mean, in lots of ways, that actually does sound really positive, that research is growing and our understanding is increasing. What about people with chronic pain that you've spoken to? How do they feel? Are they happy that progress is occurring or are they still quite frustrated at the pace of change? No, I think there's still a lot of frustration about the pace of change. I think the fact that it has been accepted that there is this this distinct category of pain where there's no obvious injury, I think that's a big step forward and it will mean that patients are more likely to be believed and taken seriously and that's great and that's a really big step forwards. I mean that is good but it's also kind of just the bare minimum? It kind of is the bare minimum, yeah. I think that's probably going to be a big area of research in the coming years is how do scientists and doctors get better at individualising treatments to patients rather than having this ongoing trial and error kind of business which can take years to find something that works for the individual patient? Linda, thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks also to Vicky Naylor for sharing her story with us. You can read more reporting on chronic pain at theguardian.com, including a series called The Pain That Can't Be Seen. And you can also check out the Guardian Australia podcast, Full Story. They recently did a brilliant episode on chronic pain, where Nikki Marshall relates her experiences of living with fibromyalgia, endometriosis and migraine. And if you want to get in touch with us here at Science Weekly, then please do. It's scienceweekly at theguardian.com. We'll be back with another episode on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com forward slash podcasts.